biology. 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 Yes, hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. My name's Mr. Colella, and as always, I'm going to be running you through the syllabus. Now, last week on the podcast, we spoke about different proteins, and this week on the podcast, we're looking at how the, or the inquiry question specifically is, how can the genetic similarities and differences within and between species be compared? And the key dot point we're looking at here is conduct practical investigations to predict variations in the genotype of offspring by modeling meiosis, including the crossing over of homologous chromosomes, fertilization, and mutations. So quite a bit to unpack there, but let's get stuck in. Now, the process of meiosis, which is where we begin, is very similar to the process of mitosis, and we did speak about that previously. Now, meiosis is all about producing sex cells, gametes, sperm and eggs in humans. Uh, and the idea is that we want to make unique gametes, unique individuals that, um, or unique gametes that are going to become unique individuals that are more likely to survive environmental changes. So the dot point says that we need to look at modeling the process of meiosis, including crossing over of homologous chromosomes, fertilization, and mutation. So how do all these things lead to uh, an organism which is going to be varied? And it links back well with the year 11 content. Natural selection, as you know, is all about picking those favorable traits. And this, this is the real magic behind that process. This is where all of the, or a lot of the randomness comes from in the organism's particular traits. So I'm going to run through the process of meiosis, the steps involved, and then I'm going to break down the individual parts that are very important to know, including crossing over, independent assortment, and random segregation. Once we finish that, we'll have a look at fertilization as well, how that increases variation and mutation. Now, with this dot point, the idea is that you model it. And once again, you can use Play-Doh, you can use um, pipe cleaners, whatever it is at your school that you've used. But a question could be in the, in the HSC. It could say, explain how you modeled the process of crossing over or the process of um, meiosis and what did you use? And they can ask that. So you need to be ready for it because the dot point says you need to conduct practical investigations. So if you didn't do it or you're not sure what you did, look up a way in which you can explain that. So let's start at the beginning of meiosis and meiosis starts in the same way that mitosis starts at prophase. Now we can talk about interphase as well, but it's going to get kind of confusing because the start of meiosis, it's all about producing gametes or these sex cells. And it kind of all starts with this very unique specialized cell called a primordial germ cell. You don't have to know that. It's just something interesting. Um, but your body cells obviously have a full complement of, of, uh, of chromosomes. We don't want that. We want them to, to divide down. And so what we'll do is we'll set up one of our cells to be specialized in order to turn into a gamete. And that is the primordial germ cell. So this germ cell, the very first cell, will have a full set of chromosomes from both mum and dad. But this is where everything is going to change and get mixed up. So during prophase, once again, we have that condensing of the chromosomes. The, um, they form the unique X pattern that we see. Um, 
duplication has taken place. So you've got to remember that whenever we see the X pattern in a chromosome, the left side of the chromosome is the same as the right side of the chromosome, or one side of the X is the same as the other side of the X, assuming crossing over hasn't taken place. And we're going to talk about that today. So you've seen an X pattern formed. That means mum's and dad's chromosome. So chromosome one, for example, they're both in the shape of an X and they have all the same genes on the left side of the X and the right side of the X for mum, left side of the X, right side of the X for dad. Got to remember that, very important. Okay, after prophase, we have metaphase. And once again, they're going to line up along the middle. You might remember last time I said to remember PMAT or IPMAT, okay? Prophase, metaphase, anaphase, telophase. Well, in meiosis, we just put a two at the end of the next one because it happens twice. So we have PMAT1 and PMAT2. So right now I'm talking about PMAT1, so prophase, metaphase, anaphase, and telophase. So prophase, chromosomes condense, we get the X pattern. Crossing over occurs here. Crossing over is the mixing of genes, and I'm going to go back into that in a lot of detail in a minute because it's a very important point. Crossing over occurs in prophase. Sometimes it's listed as in between prophase and metaphase, that crossing over process, but again, I'll come back to it in a minute. Now, metaphase in meiosis is very similar to mitosis, except for one key difference. In metaphase one of meiosis, the chromosomes do not line up in a single line down the cell. They line up in two lines, side by side, and they're no longer technically mum's and dad's chromosomes because they're going to have a mix, but they're going to line up side by side. That is one clear distinction you can make on any diagram. When you see chromosomes, the axis next to each other, that is uh, an indication you're looking at meiosis and not mitosis. So mitosis, they're one line. Meiosis, they're in two lines. Then we have anaphase and anaphase A for away. The chromosomes are pulled away to the edge of the cell. And telophase is where we're going to start to see two new daughter cells forming. And the chromosome number is going to be halved. So each cell is going to have half the amount of chromosomes from the original. Then we're going to have cytokinesis, and cytokinesis is the process of that cell being pinched and two new cells being formed. Then we're going to go through it again, but in prophase, nothing really happens in prophase 2, I should say. Prophase 2 doesn't really need a step at all, so you kind of just ignore prophase 2, but you can put it in there. Um, the chromosomes are already condensed. They're already ready to go. They're already ready to undergo the next phase, which is metaphase 2. Metaphase 2 is where the chromosomes line up. Now, in this phase, they line up in a single line down the cell because each of the chromatids are going to be pulled apart. If you remember, a chromatid is just another name for each side of the X. So the left side of the X and the right side of the X, they're called chromatids. And we count chromosomes by the centromere. That's the thing in the middle. Okay, that attaches them. So at the moment, the chromosomes are lined up along the middle in metaphase 2 and the chromatids are about to be pulled apart. So we're going to get um, chromatids being pulled into the new cells. And keep in mind at this point, we have two cells. So those two cells are going to divide into four cells, and those chromatids are then going to fill each of the gametes with half the amount from the previous. And so cytokinesis will take place, and we will be left with four unique haploid gamete cells, sperm or eggs. Now in humans, they will have 23 chromosomes in total, and those chromosomes should be very mixed and very varied uh, and unique in one way or another. 
So that's the basic process of meiosis, PMAT1 and PMAT2, and knowing where things happen is certainly important. Now we're going to go into the nitty-gritty and look at the particular parts of meiosis that make the unique gametes. And so we're going to start in prophase and speak about crossing over. Crossing over is a very important process. It probably provides most of the randomness you get in terms of the alleles that you inherit. So the process of crossing over is this. During prophase, the chromosomes, as they have condensed into those two X patterns that you know well, at the end of prophase, those two Xs will get very close together. And those chromatids actually have the ability to exchange certain parts together. So the end of mum's chromosome and the end of dad's chromosome contain the same genes. So what can happen is the ends of those chromosomes can break off and recombine with the opposite. So dad's end of his chromosome goes on to mum's and the end of mum's goes on to dad's. And, and this can happen with any gene region. Keep in mind those X patterns are duplicates. So the left chromatid and the right chromatid of mums are going to have the same genes as the left chromatid and the right chromatid of dads. And so any portions where the genes are the same can snap off and recombine. And that process sometimes gets called recombination, but it is the crossing over. So just think you're switching large portions of genes between mum and dad's chromosomes to no longer have mum and dad's chromosomes. You now have a mixture of all of them or of both of them, I should say. So the chromosome that was mum's may now have a lot more of dad's genes. It may have more than 50%, and same for dad's. And so that process is going to get us the randomness that we need to create a unique individual. Now, if we look at a HSC-style question around this, they quite often associate those uh, the crossing over process with particular alleles. So I'm going to give you an example now, which is one that you can certainly use to explain the process, um, and it should help you out to understand it a little bit better. So let's start at prophase when we have our two chromosomes, uh, mums and dads, and they're getting really close together. Now, we're going to look at the very bottom ends of the Xs, okay? The very tips of those Xs at the bottom. And we're going to go through and associate them with an allele. Now, let's say that your mum is tall and your dad is short. And the genes they have given you, or the alleles that they have given you, mum has given you a tall allele, capital T, and dad has given you a short allele, little t. So let's say that the bottom of those Xs for mum both have capital T's. Remember that the X shape means it's a duplicate. So the bottom of those X's both have capital T's. Now the bottom of dad's X both have little t's. So little t on the, on the uh, chromatids. Now, during crossing over, those chromosomes get very close together and the bottom of the X's can break off. So let's say for a minute that the bottom of one of dad's and the bottom of one of mum's chromatids break off and recombine with the opposite. They then move apart. We're now going to be left with two different X's than when we started. Mum's chromosome is going to have a capital T and a little t now because it's got dad's portion of that gene. The chromosome that is dad's is going to have little t and a capital T. 
And again, they can be on any side of the X because the region is the same. So it doesn't matter where you put it. But you can see now we have a different setup. And this can happen at any gene region. So not just tall and short, but can happen with anything in particular. That's the basic process of crossing over. And you should know how to model it and explain how those individual chromatids eventually get down to being inside the gamete and they are going to be unique. So that is crossing over. So the next phase is metaphase. And during metaphase, another process occurs that increases the randomness of the gamete or the chromosomes that are going to go into the gamete. And that is independent assortment and random segregation. Now, sometimes the order of these is certainly confusing. So I'm going to do my best to explain the process of independent assortment, which in my opinion occurs first, and then random segregation, which explains um, a few more things about that random selection. So independent assortment states that alleles for separate traits are passed independently of one another. Now, during metaphase, what we want is to separate those chromosomes into two new cells. And you might remember when I spoke about the chromosomes lining up in that, uh, or lining up side by side. Now, as they're sitting side by side, the one that is considered to be mum's chromosome and the one that is considered to be dad's chromosome, they can be on the left or the right. They don't really have a particular position they need to be in. They're going to assort themselves independently. But more so looking at this dot point, it's actually about the alleles. The alleles for one gene aren't going to affect the position of alleles for a different gene. So we'll use chromosomes and, a particular, and two particular traits for an example. So if we use chromosome 1 and we explain that on chromosome 1 are the alleles for height, okay? And on chromosome 2, we can say we have alleles for hair color. The alleles that we have on those chromosome 1s, whatever we got from mum and dad, aren't going to affect the positions of the alleles for hair color on chromosome 2. In other words, the chromosome can be on the left or the right, or the chromosome 1 can be on the left or the right. The alleles aren't going to affect the position of other alleles. Okay, that's, that's the central concept. The alleles aren't going to have any impact on other alleles' positions. In other words, they can assort themselves completely randomly and independently of one another. They're not affecting each other. Okay, that's the basic process. Now, one of the more frustrating things about this as a concept is that it only really makes sense when we do something called a dihybrid cross. And we haven't even got to Punnett squares yet, but when we do, um, a Punnett square is just a way to show that you inherit your traits randomly if we're using Mendel's rules. Um, and a dihybrid cross is just a way to show that you can inherit two traits at the same time. And again, they will be random. And that's really what independent assortment was about. It was about a dihybrid cross. So showing you that two different traits aren't going to affect the alleles in the position that they go. So uh, the hair color or the uh, the height, you can get either. either um, you could be tall or short. You could have uh, brown hair or blonde hair. Um, they're not going to affect each other. That's the idea. You're going to get a random, a completely random mix of either one. And it's 
just going to be down to pure chance. So they're not going to have any effect on each other. Now, there are examples where this doesn't hold true, so linked genes, but that will just make things a bit more confusing. If you just remember that this concept is all about two traits, so hair color and height, for example, and the fact that they don't affect each other's position during that metaphase process. They're just going to assort themselves independent of one, of one another. They're not going to affect the position that each of them go. That is independent assortment. Explained as best as I could. I hope you understand that. Now, with random segregation, it is very similar, but there are some differences. So, random segregation states that when an organism makes gametes, each gamete receives just one copy or one allele, which is selected randomly. Okay? So, it means that in the end, each of your gametes should have a random allele, and they don't go in any particular order into any particular gamete. So the gamete that it goes into, the particular allele, is random. Now this makes more sense when we look at particular um, alleles for a particular trait. So once again, if we look at height, and we remember that mum and dad had those genes, big T and little t, and in the beginning I spoke about the fact that um, if mum and dad switched, we had mum's new chromosome was going to be big T, little t, and dad's new chromosome was going to be little t and big T, eventually they would get down into the individual gametes. So those chromatids would segregate down. So they would randomly go left or right, um, and it would also be up to independent assortment. So they'd move left or right because of that. But in the end, the, the whole idea is about the fact that each gamete should now have a random selection of each of those alleles. And this makes more sense when we do monohybrid crosses. So that's crossing just one trait, like height. Okay? So, once again, it's all about receiving one copy of that gene, the allele, just one copy of it. And each one, each of your gametes should have a random copy due to the processes that occur um, as chromosomes are pulled away um, and they can move left or right. Whichever one you get is going to be random, and that is the law of segregation. So these two laws might make a bit more sense if I actually explain what can go wrong with them. So if independent assortment went wrong, so let's say that the alleles did affect one another, that would mean that perhaps height and hair color would be inherited together. Now, that wouldn't cause a serious issue with the organism, um, but it would if many genes were all inherited together, as in all the gametes would be the same or they would have the same combination. That would decrease genetic diversity. That would be bad. That would, um, that would cause the organism to be less likely to survive. That is if there is an issue with independent assortment, the genes are linked. They, they are stuck together in some way. They, they go together with each other. Now, with random segregation, the issues are going to be a lot worse. Random segregation states that you only get one copy of that allele in each gamete. Now, if that's not true, it means that maybe you get two copies. And that's exactly what happens when you get Down syndrome. Down syndrome is where you have three copies of chromosome 21. That means that during meiosis of either mum or dad, something went wrong with random segregation. The chromosomes did not go where they were meant to. They didn't randomly segregate. They were pulled together into a single gamete. One gamete got two copies 
of chromosome 21. So let's say the sperm cell got two copies of chromosome 21 and mum's egg cell already has one copy of that chromosome 21 as well. So when we combine the two from dad's and the one from mum's, we get three chromosomes and that will cause the characteristics of Down syndrome, trisomy 21. So I hope that makes it a little clearer in terms of what happens when things go wrong in those processes and that might help you to understand sort of how each one works. So obviously with me explaining how these processes work, they are a lot easier to understand if you have a visual element. So while I'm explaining these things, it would be good to look at diagrams or models or your notes or whatever it is that you uh, use to help you visualize this process. It is exceptionally difficult to try and explain a process without using diagrams. But as I said before, I hope it helps in some way. And if it doesn't, or it confuses you, then you've got to continue learning. That's the idea. You've got to continue teaching yourself different ways to understand this process. Okay? All right. So we've now been through crossing over, independent assortment, and random segregation, which all aim to create a unique haploid cell. The gamete should be uh, as unique as possible and not be anywhere near the other gametes. We want to create variation as much as possible. So how do we increase that further? Well, that happens through the process of fertilization. So fertilization is the combination of those gametes. So when a sperm meets an egg, for example. Now with sperm being released, around 300 million or so sperm, uh, only one is going to meet that egg. Now having only one egg does decrease the variation compared to, say, external fertilization. We have talked about this before. Um, but the fact that there are 300 million sperm and each one of them is unique. Remember that process of meiosis occurred for every single one of those sperm. They all carry a unique combination of the father's chromosomes. Those sperm are now randomly going to try and get to that egg. And the journey itself is perilous and the fastest swimmers don't survive. You know, the, uh, the, the uh, strongest don't survive quite often. It's, it's, it's usually just down to luck and timing. And so uh, obviously all of us here today are one of the lucky ones and uh, that process does increase variation in the offspring. Finally, mutation. And this is something we're actually going to talk about in a lot more detail in another podcast, uh, mainly in Module 6. Now, mutation by itself is obviously going to change the individual. So by definition, it is any change to the DNA. And any change in the DNA is uh, in a coding region is going to cause a significant issue in the organism. Uh, so mutations can quite often lead to uh, deadly alleles, an allele that will kill an individual, or an allele that is going to have a significant um, effect on the ability to survive. Uh, but every now and then, some of those mutations can be positive, and those positive mutations um, are usually uh, furthered in the species, as in uh, they are passed on if they're favorable. Uh, once again, this certainly increases variation in a population. Uh, this is the start of new alleles, which create new traits, and that is really adding to that process of evolution, as without mutation, we wouldn't have uh, continued change within a species, uh, which means we wouldn't be able to uh, be as complex as we are. We're all, you know, this varied and unique due to these mutations that have occurred over millions of years. So they're the main processes, uh, meiosis, crossing over, um, and fertilization 
and mutations, sorry, that lead to the creation of uh, random gametes which mix together and create random offspring um, uh, to hopefully survive those dramatic environmental changes. All right, I hope that was helpful today, guys, um, and I'll see you next time on the podcast.